The Word of God is food for the spirit and health to the body. Through the spirit of revelation, we are guided into the wisdom and deep mysteries in His Word that make our lives vibrant and productive. Welcome to the Makayefu Gospel Church Podcast. As you listen in, the glory of God will be quickened and activated in your life. And now, the Word. This morning, I'd like to share a message that is titled, Some More Salt, Please. Some More Salt. There may be some hard sayings this morning, and therefore very few amens, but it is okay. Hallelujah. Uh, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verse 1 and 2, then we will skip to verse 13 and 16. Matthew chapter 5, from verse 1 and 2, and then we'll go from verse 13 to Okay, and it says, And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, So I want you to highlight his disciples. His disciples came to him. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and told them, saying, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, underline good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. It goes on and says that you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that, in the, that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Praise the Lord. For the past couple of months, our Father in this house has been teaching us about the last days and the kingdom come mandate and the things that are happening now and the things that are yet to happen. And now more than ever is a season that the church has to align herself to what the Father is doing and also to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Now in this particular text we see, we learn that Jesus was a master all through his ministry, look at the four Gospels, you find that he was a master of using earthly examples or earthly metaphors to explain new kingdom realities. You'd ask yourself, why would he use parables? Why would he use such stories that such is the kingdom of God, like a man that, you know, wakes up in the morning, has a field, the field has treasure, then he talks about the sow and the seed. He used parables because he was trying to teach new kingdom realities to men that were natural. How do you teach about a kingdom that no one has ever seen? How do you teach about a kingdom that no one has ever handled? How do you teach about a kingdom that cannot be seen with a physical eye? The best way that he could do so was using examples that these men had seen. He would talk about bread and the true bread. He would talk about all these different parables that would make sense to the people. And in this text, we see him speaking to his disciples. And that's why I said to underline the word disciples. The Bible starts off with saying that he spoke to his disciples and told them saying that you, my disciples, the ones that follow me, the ones that acknowledge and obey my teachings, those disciples he called the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And let me just say this. There is a difference between believers and disciples. We make the mistake of thinking that every believer is a disciple, but that's not true. 
We tend to think that just because we believe in God, that, that is the end. Let me just break this down because it's important that we understand. There's a difference between believers and disciples. When you read John chapter 8 from verse 30 to 32, and maybe you write this down, John 8, 30 to 32, and he spake these words, many believed on him. Okay, next verse. Then Jesus said to those Jews, which believed on him, okay, so they were believers, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. So the Bible shows us levels that there were Jews that came to him and they believed in him. Some believed that he was the Messiah. Some believed in his works, but he placed a distinction between believers and disciples. He said that if a believer continues in my word, then he's a disciple. Disciples have to live their lives under subjection to the will of God. They ought to follow Jesus perpetually and continually, not just on a Sunday, but on a Friday night as well. Disciples are learners of the word. Disciples are people that Jesus said are able to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. We read in multiple places of people that believed in Jesus. When you read John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he says, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you are a man or a teacher sent from God because no one can do these things except God be with him. But Nicodemus is not visibly seen as having become a disciple of Christ. We read of the young man that was very rich and he came to Jesus and said, you know, what should I do to have eternal life? I want to, you know, I, I want to have eternal life. And just says, go sell all that you have and follow me. He continues on. When you read John 6, there are people that believed Jesus for what he could do. Actually, they believed in what he did. You find that right after him multiplying the loaves of bread and fish, there was word that spread abroad and people started following. He said, man, while you're man of God, he multiplies bread. And you will eat the bread and even bread remains. And not only bread, if you bring fish, you will multiply it also. Eh? Really? Hey. So he crosses over to the other side and people now come. They say, hey, Musumba, what do you say then? He tells them, truly you are not following me because you believe in me. You are following me because I fed you with bread. And he tells them that you did not even see the miracle. There are those that believed in what he could do. They believed in what he did. But they did not actually believe in Jesus. Because when you read John 6 and you continue down in that text, you find that Jesus began saying certain things. Begins talking about people are eating his flesh and drinking his blood. You don't eat of my flesh and not, you know, you have no part in me. They said, ah, this guy has had sayings. And the Bible says that some of them never followed him ever again from that day. What am I trying to say? There's a difference between believers and disciples. And disciples have a function on this earth. And Jesus Christ compared their function to salt. He said that every disciple has to be salt to the earth. And he also says that every disciple has to be light to the world. I want us to just look at the aspect of salt and maybe in the future we'll look at light. But what does it mean to be salt? And we can write that down. What does it mean to be salt? Why did Jesus use salt to describe the function of his disciples in this day? The first thing that we see is that salt preserves. I remember in primary school, very vividly, it's very funny that I used to hate science. And ironically, I'm a doctor. 
But in primary, I hated science. But I remember that there is a lesson that we had concerning how food can be preserved besides refrigeration. They taught about how you can preserve food if you don't have a fridge. So the teacher, remember his name was Okelo, tough guy, red eyes. Eh? And he had that accent. I will not use the accent because sample may not smile. So, but he was called Okelo, so you can determine the accent in your head. So he starts talking about ways to preserve food. So he talks about smoking, talks about drying, all these different things. Then he talked about salt. I found this quite interesting back then, but I didn't really understand how salt is able to preserve or why does it have to be salt it it salt seemed like it was out of place smoking okay you can understand drying you can understand salt what is so special about salt let's just go into a very brief science lesson salt has the ability to slow down corruption it has the ability to slow down wasting away when you go down to the properties of salt and study them you realize that salt reduces the water activity of anything. Let me break that down further. Literally, what salt does is it reduces the free water that bacteria are able to use or that is able to speed up any chemical reaction. Salt is able to do that. So it will keep the water so that when the bacteria come to multiply, there is no water. And it will keep the water so that in case any process of corruption and degradation is supposed to take place, there will be no water. Therefore, it will put a hold on the corruption process. If you get meat, once you cut it off from the life supply, it is already starting to die. But then when you add salt, the salt will cause the meat to stay much longer than it would have had. The salt in itself may not stop the corruption process entirely but it will delay it likewise the bible tells us actually not the bible but jesus tells us that we are the salt of the earth he's telling us that we are his strategy to putting a hold or putting up a resistance to the corruption that is happening in this earth the same way salt will be on a piece of meat and the bacteria will struggle to multiply that is the same influence God desires for us to have in this earth today. Jesus was saying, you, my disciples, are the salt of the earth. You preserve it. You see, there are so many things that we see happening in the world today. Recently, I was seeing numerous videos and people are saying that violence levels are rising up in, in the country, but not just the country, but over the world. Violence in schools. You hear wives beating husbands, husbands beating wives, parents beating children, children beating parents. There is a lot of violence, there's a lot of death, there's a lot of corruption, there's a lot of moral decadence. We, we look around and you're like, what is happening? And you see, it's, it's a very great temptation to just sit back and fold your hands like many of us are doing now. That's sort of how like, we are looking at the world. And it's easy because the Bible tells us that these things will come to pass. Revelation, you know, pastor has been preaching, you know, people, men will become lovers of themselves, you know, parents, uh, children will be disobedient to their parents. And then we just sit back and fold. Prophecy, you know, that's it. The Bible says, and you see, 
And as much as that is true, it's not the full truth. Because the same Bible that tells us that these things will come to pass is the same Bible that says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Inasmuch as it is true that things are going to get worse, that the worst is yet to come, the same Bible also tells us that the Lord by his Spirit is raising up a standard against that corruption. Those are his disciples. That is the salt. I've come to tell someone that we need some more salt in this earth. Many of us are sitting back. You are watching. Let me just say this plainly. Parents, some of you are watching your children die and you're folding your hands. You know, they say circular music, they're rebellious, they talk back at you. You find them watching pornography. Oh, you're watching. Oh. And it's, it's sort of very relaxed. And we don't know that as a parent, God has placed you as salt in that house. There are things that cannot happen while we are still here. There are things that you cannot let happen in your spaces of influence. There are places that God has given you authority. And you must function as salt. The Bible tells us that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. When you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 from 1 to 7, says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Next verse. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them even if they claim to have a spiritual vision, revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Next verse. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. They're talking about the Antichrist. Next verse. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship he will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he is God himself. Next verse. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? Next verse. And you know what is holding him back. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. Next verse. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. I see what Paul is saying. That there is corruption. There are things that are happening. There are things that are going to happen. But they will not reach the climax. Because there is a certain being. There is a certain person that is keeping that corruption in check. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church. You and I are what is keeping these things from finding full expression. He says that this man, the Antichrist, cannot come when the church is here. The person. So the system is in work. We see people teaching about all these different things. We see fashion is changing. These days, you come in your state for a dinner, guys will not even look at you. They want the slit that's reaching this side in the heart. So you pass by, swing no man will look. Sister Carol wears a kamini. Everyone is like, wow, wow, no, yeah, I am, but, ah, what are you mean? Why? It's a system. You find that the music that is booming all over TV, it's secular music. It is 
sensual music. It is worldly music. It is so bad that even Christians play that music on their weddings. Allow me to shake tables. Everything in this world, it, it's a system. And it is growing to the end that it will lead men to apostates. What is that? It is a place where we are falling away from God completely. The aim of the Antichrist system is that the church will neglect the ways of God completely. Now they're saying men can marry men and you'll still have children. You can be a man who will put a uterus in you. If you want babies, you can have... Are you, you seeing that? It is a change of what God had designed originally completely. And it's something that is growing progressively. But the Bible gives us hope that the worst cannot come when the church is here. For as long as the Holy Spirit is here, within the church, certain things should not happen. Actually, certain things cannot happen. The Bible tells us that we are the salt of the earth. When you read Revelations chapter 6 up until chapter 8, you read of the trumpet judgments, the seal judgments, all these things that are going to come. These things will only happen when the Spirit of God has been withdrawn from the, from the world together with the church. You will ask yourself, why will these things happen? When you study, not even read, when you study the book of Revelation, you find that terrible things will happen as, after the rapture. Stars falling from the sky, water turning into blood, all these different things. And you're like, is this a horror movie? But it's actually going to happen. And all these things will only happen when the Spirit of God has been withdrawn from the earth together with the church. Because we cannot distinguish the Holy Spirit and the church. The church thrives, the church lives, the church is sealed by the Spirit. And therefore, when God withdraws His Spirit, the church, the true church, not just people who come, but the true church will also be withdrawn with the same Spirit. And that is when the worst will happen. That is when the things that we have read of will happen. So this is a call unto us that we cannot just sit back and watch. We cannot just sit back and, and look on. For some of us that have been tired, may this give you courage. May this remind you. May this be a sobering moment. We are the salt of the earth. Praise the Lord. In every generation, God looks for salt. And you can write that down. In every generation, God looks for salt. You see, there's something that Jesus said in that text, that if salt loses its savor, then it is of no use but to be walked on or to be trodden on by the feet of men. That represents ridicule. That represents shame. That represents loss of relevance. And you see, it is very sad that today the church has lost relevance. You see, men literally walk all over us. These days, for some people, it doesn't carry power to some going for overnight. You at campus say, man, you know, I can't stay for a movie. I'm going for overnight. These days, some people are not to move. It, like, it, it carries no weight. You know, um, you know, sister... Sister Mary, I'm going through all these things, you know, I'm struggling. Uh, then Mr. Mary, you feel like, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. And in your mind, you think that that word is going to carry so much weight. Now, don't 
pray for me. My want money. You get even our prayers lost relevance. You know, there are times when men of prayer, if you look at Elijah, you look at Elisha, if you look at any man of prayer in the Bible, these men had authority. Can you imagine that to pick one man, to collect him, to collect one man, a king had to send an army. The Syrian king, when he wanted to come to Elisha, they had to send an army. That is a man of prayer. A man could come and say, you know what? Because you are fornicating at Macquarie University, there will be no rain for the whole year. The rain will rain elsewhere in Uganda, but not in the university. Those are men of prayer. I'm here to ask us, where are the men of prayer? Where are the Elijahs of God? Jesus said that when we lose that savor, we are ridiculed. We, we, we have come to a place where it seems like there is no glory in the church. I was having a conversation with people yesterday. At a certain wedding, he will be surprised one night. These things of virginity, people laugh. They, they laugh. like It's not even silence. They just laugh at you. Like it is normal to them now these things. Like the principles, the things that the kingdom of God is based on, they're being walked on by the feet of men because the salt has lost its seed. And God is saying, where is the salt? Who can be salt in this time? Salt is the voice of Abraham saying, what if you find ten righteous men? Will you save this city? Will you save this family? Salt is the life of Noah, who the Bible called a preacher of righteousness, that built an ark and preserved his family. Oh dear father and mother, can you be a Noah in your family? Can you build an ark that when the flood comes, you are preserved? So there are certain things that should not happen while the church is still here. I want to end with two things. One, we are salt, not honey. We are salt, not honey. And you can write that down. You see, like I started off saying, Jesus was a master of using metaphors, earthly examples and analogies to describe or explain to people the kingdom of heaven. And in that day, there were other things that could be used. One of them was honey. He could have said that you, my disciples, are the honey of the earth. Oh, that would sound sweet one night. Woman of God, you are the honey of the earth. You are sweet. You are smooth. He says, no, you are not honey, my dear. You are salt. You see, salt is uncomfortable on its application, but it heals. Can I say that again? Salt is uncomfortable on its application, but it heals. So some of us are so busy fitting in. We are so busy being honey. You are so scared of offending people. You can't even talk about your faith. We are so busy being honey. Yeah. Honey, honey, honey. Our children, honey. Family, honey. Ministry, honey. Friends, honey. Church, honey. Even preachers are being honey on the pulpit. But God loves it anyway. And it's true. But even the Bible tells us that we need to have a seasoned word. There must be salt in it. That salt will sting, but it will heal. Let me give you guys a, a very funny testimony. When I was young, I was extremely playful until the Holy Spirit came upon me. So, But I was extremely playful, very. 
and that woman there can testify. Stegi, I would put new windows every every after like a week. You buy new windows. As a whole construction project, praise the Lord. Breaking the bulb, you know, in a household, there are values. So, Musa Fred had a cup, has a cup, plate. You know, and you know, the, the plates and cups look like tea, eh? Like the plate was big, the biggest cup was his, biggest fork was his. Now, I was in the business of destroying things. Break Muse's plate. I don't know I was breaking his things mostly, but his cup, his plate. Now, at the time I was playing in the compound, and you know, all those that know Pastor Fred, he loves dogs. He loves, if he had the opportunity to, okay, I will not say that, but he loves dogs so much. So um, because of that, the compound would be very messy. It would have poop, it would have bones, it would have what? Chains, it was very weird. So I was playing football and one time I stepped on a bone and it was sharp and it went through my foot in a certain place. And I pulled it out and I was trying to be a hardy guy. I won't tell my Jana Kaba. So I try, suddenly, the next time I look at the wound, there's some bit of pus. It's very warm, very tender. Ningama man, had the guy is off a movie, so I tell my mom, no, now let's clean it and let us put salt. Those days when you are young and they say they are going to put salt, you'd pray for the rapture to happen. No, 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 no. Okay, let me just wash it with warm water. I said, wash, wash, but salt, no. She said, let me put, she said, no. She laughed. That woman there is very, very naughty. She laughed, she said, that's okay. I've left you. So I thought we had any wedding. So I was there sleeping. I even remember that dream I had. I was sleeping. I was in my dream. I was dreaming. I was driving. We are driving. But in between, as I was in that car driving, I was feeling pain on my leg in that dream. Which kind of dream is this one? After some time, the pain became unbearable. I woke up. And guess what? My mom had put so much salt. When I say so much, I mean so much salt. It could cook like for a whole village. Salt. So as young, I cried. I cried. So she comes from the room laughing. I told you. And then she removes the salt. But guess what? In two, three days, that wound had healed. What I'm trying to say is the Bible tells us we are the salt of the earth. Yes, you may, you may sting some people, but in that stinging, there's healing. You young people may be uncomfortable with your presence, but that is the way to healing. When you're sick and they say take paracetamol, do you say no? I will not. It is bitter. You take it. But in that bitterness, there's healing. When you fall sick, they'll give you. It does not matter how bitter the medicine is. What matters is you getting better. So it doesn't matter if we try to be honey in this world. This world will not get better. We are called to be salt. You are the salt of the earth. We are not honey. Quit living life trying to please everyone. He did not say, you know, you are the, you are the honey of the earth. You are the sweetness to everyone. No. We are salt. 
We are salt and not vinegar. That's the second thing. We are salt and not honey was the first. We are salt and not vinegar. Now, I'm trying to show us the two extremes. Now, some of us have chosen to be vinegar in this time and season. We have left salt. Now, we, for us, we are acidic. There's a time that our father, our senior pastor, preached about the washing uh, with the water, that, that is the word of God, and said some believers wash with very hot water. We treat people like their hands. You want to literally peel off the skin, but you're calling it washing. We are not vinegar. We are not honey, but we are not vinegar. We are not too sweet that there is no change, but we are not too acidic to prevent the change. We are salt. So we have to come to a place where we can allow people to meet God. We must come to a place where we preserve nations. Knowing this, that God loves us so much that he says, come as you are. But the same God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Can I say that again? God loves us so much that he says, come as you are. But he loves us so much as well to leave us the way we are. And that is salt. That you have the ability to say, you're a Muslim. You're wearing your, that thing that the women wear. Come, let's go to church. That when that lady comes to church, she will not be marginalized. No. But likewise, we will not be honey. You are scared to talk about newbie. What if I offend them? No. We are able to balance both ends. That come as you are. But I guarantee you that as you come, you will not stay that way you are. We are the salt of the earth. We are the salt of the earth. That was what Jesus said to his disciples then, and it's what he's saying to his disciples now. If you're truly a disciple, this is your function on this earth. So we are not disciples to just sit in the pew and look at the pastor every Sunday. Meanwhile, your sister is on the way to hell. I remember all of us know Ashraf. Uh, so there's a we used to go to Ashraf's home for Ramadan because his father was a, was a Muslim. And I remember when we would go there, I would be so scared. We didn't want to offend the guy because it was free pilau every after. I don't know how long those guys think. So we'd go there, you'd be very calm. You don't even say Jesus very loud. Yeah. This is the guy who gives you pilau every after sometime. We're very relaxed. Yeah. And we calm down to offend him. And you know, we, we literally feared preaching the gospel to him. And in the meantime, we'd say we loved Ashraf. In the meantime, we'd say we loved his father. But that was very wrong. How many of you holding the cure to cancer would leave your loved one to die? We literally see people taking people to India. Operations of 500 million, 1 billion. We look for the money. Why? Because our loved one is going to die. But then here is a believer withholding the gospel. And you tell someone you love them. And yet this is physical death. It is worse to die physically and spiritually. And here is a believer holding the gospel and you are withholding it from that person. If you tell that person you love them, you lie. Because none of you would have that cure 
None of you would have the school fees and your child is dying. And you say, let me withhold the school fees. I love you so much, by the way. It's the same thing that we are doing. The Bible tells us to go and make disciples of all men. It says that they that believe, they'll be saved. They that don't believe, they'll be damned. But do you know that as we withhold the gospel, we are indirectly leading men to damnation. We're saying that you're going to die. So we are called to be sold. And what is the solution? It's what I'm talking about. We need to preach the gospel like never before. You cannot say you are salt and you are not a preacher of righteousness like Noah. We are called to be salt. Preach the gospel. Do you know, I wonder what Paul would be doing in this day where we have WhatsApp, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Bluetooth, all tubes, Facebooks, all books. He'll say, oh, church, pray for me that I may have the utterance. That, you know, an effectual door has opened for me to preach on Twitter. He would maximize all platforms. May the Lord help us to preach. The, I said there won't be many amens this morning, but it's okay. May God help us to preach the gospel like never before. Put the gospel on your WhatsApp status. Me, I'm scared. I'm shy. On your status, are they seeing you? Put it on your status. And there are English readers that view your status. Put your John 3.16. You may not know when how to interpret the scripture. Just put it there. You're preaching the gospel. Put it on your car. Put it on your tire cover. Wear it on your shirt. Some of us have never worn shirts that have verses. Or a suit, suit. One day, you're a CEO. Go to church. Or go to your company with a shirt that says, Jesus is the way, truth, and life. Put it on your shirt. You know our work? We have to dress formally. Wear it on a Saturday. We don't have excuses. Well, go and say, hello, good morning. Preach them. They will read the verse. We need to find ways to preach the gospel. If you're scared, you can't do street preaching. Get someone every Sunday. Let that be your ministry. I'll come with a non-believer every Sunday to church. I may not preach to them, but I'll bring them. There are ministers on this platform every single Sunday. How many of you put it upon yourself to come with an unbeliever? We just come swinging hands, sit, go back. Meanwhile, your neighbor that you say you love so much is a Muslim. You have never told them, come, let's go to church. The second thing is priesthood. The church exercises her kingly authority through prayer. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that we have been made to be kings and priests through Christ Jesus. The only way that we can exercise our kingly authority to rule in this world is by fulfilling our priestly mandate of prayer. It is only when the church prays that we can exercise our authority. That's what it means to be sought. Can I tell you, woman, oh man of God, that every morning that you wake up and you are praying, you are functioning as salt in that home. Every altar that you keep burning, every fire that you keep spreading, every time you spend time communing with God, you are functioning as salt. It is like Abraham that said, God, if you find ten righteous men, will you save this city? So you are praying in this, you're praying in the morning. You're saying, God, my my, my child, my, my son, or my, my daughter, God, I'm praying for them. 
May you preserve them. May you lead them. Show me the way they should go. And I will lead them in that way. Oh God, I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for my children. God, I'm praying for my company. God, I'm praying for the church. We, we have to spend time praying. You see, the church today, we have become masters at talking about things. Let's make it normal to say, as, as a problem comes, you say, let's pray about it. John in heaven saw angels holding golden vials that were the essence, the prayer of the saints. It is our prayer that allows God to administer on the earth freely. Read the book of Acts. The angel came to Cornelius and said, I am here. I am only here because your prayer and your arms have reached heaven. If you are not prayed, I have no business being here. So the only way we can see the kingdom of God expressed on earth is if we pray. You will not receive divine visitation for there must be prayer. You say, what about Saul? Saul never prayed. How come? Do you realize that Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus because the saints in Damascus prayed? Jesus appeared to Saul because there were saints praying. He went on later and met a man called Ananias. So there were people like Ananias that were praying, God, Saul is coming. God, Saul is coming. He's going to kill us. Don't let us perish. Don't let us die. They were praying continuously. As Saul is coming, swinging his knife, Jesus comes and says, where are you going? He says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. You may think that you're persecuting mere men, but these men represent me. If we the church can make this a lifestyle, you hear that appeal is coming to, to legalize something, abortion or homosexuality or something is coming. We ought to pray. Don't just wait for it to come. Then say, oh, it has come. Oh God, now help us even before we ought to pray. Thank you for listening. We hope that you've been strengthened with His might and fortified by the Word of God. Please make sure to like, follow, and subscribe to our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube pages at Full Gospel Map. Goodbye.